Good morning. I want to uh, invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew. As you arrive there, would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, it is good to just be quiet and still in your presence for a few moments. It's good to be with you and to know that you are here and that you want to be with us. So Lord, um, whatever distractions we bring with us today, the internal voices and, and fears and doubts and joys and celebrations and all of the things that we've brought with us and whatever we find here uh, the, the moving around of people, the temperature in the room, the, the, the opportunities that are happening around us today. Um, Lord, would you settle us in the midst of all of the sounds that compete and just simply let us hear you. Lord, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for a spirit who inspired the writing of these words and now will inspire our hearing and understanding and living into these words. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So we're going to begin reading at, uh, it's actually John 12, uh, verse 20. John 12, verse 20. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem to attend the Passover paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. And Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And Jesus replied, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. The truth is, a kernel of wheat must be planted in the soil. Unless it dies, it will be alone, a single seed. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. And those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who despise their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. All those who want to be my disciples must come and follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And if they follow me, the Father will honor them. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from what lies ahead? But that is the very reason why I came. Father, bring glory to your name. We'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy and inspired word. Amen. 
So as you know, uh, we are uh, right at the very beginning of a fall series, and we've been working uh, through a series that we're calling Holy Surrendered. And the the basic idea of this series is that the 12 steps of recovery uh, that you know about uh, all over the recovery uh, movement, all through the recovery community, uh, that these 12 steps are based in the Bible. And when I say that they're based in the Bible, I don't mean to say that they're just sort of loosely taken from the Bible, but you can really sort of trace out uh, huge swaths of Scripture uh, that stand as a uh, foundation for the 12 steps. So if you go to uh, Matthew's uh, Sermon on the Mount and you look at the Beatitudes, you go to the, the book of James, you look at some of the writings of Paul, and you can begin to draw some, some pretty clear connections between the 12 steps and what the Scriptures teach teach us. And what we've been saying in this series is that, that, it's, that, that, it's, that it's important for us as a church to let the recovery community, to let the 12-step movement sort of, in a sense, remind us of what we should never have forgotten, to remind us of the treasures that we have that we may have lost sight of. And so we're studying the scriptures with a heart towards recovery and listening to the scriptures with the, the stories and the encouragement of the 12-step community uh, sort of whispering alongside of us. So, so how, how are we uh, taking that on? And in, and in order for this series to make any sense at all, uh, in order for this to be an engaged uh, time for any of us, uh, here's the thing that we need to know. Uh, it, it, it would be really interesting to sit back and say, well, that's, that's inf- interesting information, and those are some interesting parallels, and I can see where that would be useful for somebody out there, for those people. And, and, and in order for us to be engaged in this series, what we want to say is this, that every one of us is an addict. That the line that separates um, uh, addicts uh, is, is not a line that separates us from somebody else, but it's, it's, it's inside of us. That everyone is an addict. Uh, One writer says that to be alive is to be addicted. To be alive is to be addicted. And to be addicted is to stand in need of grace. And so when we say that we're all addicts, the idea is not to be flippant about that. Right? The idea is not to say somehow that, uh, uh, that, that we want to minimize the, 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 the particular and tragic uh, versions of addiction uh, that, that uh, those with substance uh, addiction struggle with. And it isn't to say that, that somehow everybody here is secretly uh, uh, addicted to alcohol or popping pills. But it is to say that, that the underlying process of addiction is at work in everybody. The process of addiction is at work in all of us. And no matter how that happens to be manifested. And there are places of persistent brokenness in all of our lives. And no matter how hard we have tried to fix it, or how much willpower we have brought to bear, or how diligently we have studied the Bible, or how often we have prayed, those places of persistent brokenness just don't seem to give way. And maybe we've just simply made peace about that, and we live with some resignation and cynicism that that will just always be there. But we all have some of those places in our lives. And we all have some places in our lives where our lives have become unmanageable. Our lives are out of control. 
So this morning, what we want to do is to look a little bit more closely at, at what I'm calling a primal addiction. And the primal addiction, the, the, the primary addiction that we all share, is, a, is an, addicted, an addiction to a certain way of thinking. A certain way of thinking that says, uh, when, I, when I encounter... The addiction is, when somebody says, you're not in control, your life is unmanageable, the addiction is to say, but I am in control. And my life isn't manageable. Right? We have an addiction to a certain way of thinking that tells us that we are in control and that we can manage. And so this morning, we want to look a little bit more closely at sort of that, that primary, the primal addiction, and to explore the first step of recovery. So the story that we have here in front of us this morning uh, begins with a request by some Greeks who want to come and see Jesus. They want, they've, they've heard uh, stories about what Jesus is up to. Uh, maybe they've seen him from a distance. And now they're saying, we want to see Jesus. We want to know Jesus. And right off, I want to say, central to our thinking today and, think, and throughout our series, that, that that is our goal too. That our goal is, just, is not just simply to do some introspection and to get to know ourselves better. But the goal is always to see Jesus. To, to know Jesus. And I, I want to keep that goal in front of us. And my prayer is that that is the deepest desire of your heart. The deepest longing of your soul is to know Jesus and to see Jesus and to interact with Jesus. I actually love the word that the Greek text uses here. Uh, the, when the Greeks come and, 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 and make this request, the, the, they use a word that has the sense of interview. They want to interview Jesus. And, that, and there's almost a sense that, that they're, they're not completely settled on who this Jesus is. They'd like to find out more. They'd like to explore the possibilities. They're interested. They have some doubts. And maybe that describes where you are today. When it comes to Jesus, you have some doubts as well. You're not settled. You're not completely convinced. But they're open. And my prayer is that that also describes who you are today. That you come with an openness to, to learn and to encounter and to interrogate this Jesus and see what he's all about. And now what's fascinating in this story is that Jesus never actually answers the request. He has this uh, odd sort of disjointed response but when you step back and think about it, he is responding to the request. And what Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying, look, if, if, if you want to know me, if you want to see who I really am, if you want to understand me and comprehend me, then in order for that to happen, in order to see the full and real Jesus, you have to see Jesus in all of his glory. You will not understand the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the life of... You'll not understand Jesus until you see him in his full glory. And in order for that full sense of Jesus and his glory to be seen, he's going to have to die. And he'll be planted in the ground like a grain of wheat. And then you'll be able to see Jesus. Then you'll be able to see his glory then you'll have understanding. And if that isn't startling enough, he goes on to say that anybody who wants to, to follow him, anybody who wants to know him, 
Not only do they have to know Jesus in his dying, but in order to be a disciple who follows after Jesus, you have to die too. So this morning I'd like to introduce you to a distinction that sometimes is made when people read texts like this one in the Scripture. And the distinction is the distinction between uh, what sort of is classically called your true self and your false self. So a distinction is between your true self and your false self. The false self shows up here in this text. And the false self is not the bad self. It's not the wrong self. It's not the, it's not the uh, evil self. It's, it's just, the, the false self is just simply not the truest, fullest version of you. And Jesus uses the illustration of a grain of wheat. He says the, the, the false self is the, is the single grain. Right? And you can see this tiny little grain of wheat sitting there saying, I'm happy with what I am. Right? I'm, I'm content. I'm self-contained. I don't want to change anything. This is all I ever want. It's, holding, it's just clinging to its life. Right? It's clinging to its identity. And it's refusing to become this rich harvest that its true self is intended to produce. And we all have a false self. The Apostle Paul calls it our flesh. Some uh, schools of psychology call it our ego. But our false self, and, 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 and I might suggest that, that you even see Jesus wrestling with a false self here. This is why I say it's not evil, it's not bad. But Jesus is also wrestling with this, right? At, at, at the end of the text, what is Jesus doing? He's saying, oh my goodness, how do I, I don't even know how to pray for this. Do I want to cling to my, my, my identity and cling to the life that I'm living right now? Or, 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 do, I, or do I release that and go into the ground? Jesus, Jesus is wrestling with his false self. He, 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 he names it. Father, save me from what lies ahead. That's the false self speaking. Because the true self of Jesus will only be expressed when he goes under the ground in his glorious scene. We all have a false self. And our false self is defined um, by a couple of things. One is it wants to be in control. right? It's the false self that wants to be in control. It's the false self that steps up and says, I've got this, I can handle this, I can manage it. It's not so bad. The false self always wants to be in charge, always wants to be in control, always wants to look good. And the false self is defined by, by what it attaches to and by what it avoids. Right? So this false self is defined by all of the things that it attaches to and the things that it avoids. So the false self in this text is attached to what Jesus calls life in this world. In verse 25, so those who love their life in this world, who try to hold on to life in this world, who grasp life in this world and all of the things that attend to life in this world those that 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 grasping that holding that attaching says well ultimately lead to your room because that's not what you're intended to be that's not who you really are so that this false self is, is 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 defined by this attaching and it's also defined by avoiding right this 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 false self is the little grain that says no 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 not into the ground right i don't want to go in there 
I, don't, I want to avoid death. I want to avoid uh, the helplessness of going into the ground. It's attachments and avoidances, or attachments and aversions. And this is where this text connects up to our series. Because attachments and aversions are at the heart of addiction. They're at the heart of addiction. I have a couple of tables that I want you to see. Um, I know that you won't be able to read those very well. Just jot those down a minute, would you? especially in the back. Just jot those down. We're going to do a quick uh, eye test if you cover up your right eye. Uh, so uh, this is from a book, Addiction and Grace, by uh, addiction specialist uh, Gerald May, uh, recently uh, deceased uh, psychiatrist who, uh, who uh, studied the intersection between um, uh, spirituality and faith and the science of addiction. And he has created these two tables. And one hand is the, uh, all of these attraction addictions, right? And, and it's, it's really interesting to look through that. Uh, an addiction to calendars, Right? Anybody? Right? An addiction to uh, uh, chewing gum, an, addi- an addiction to suspiciousness or sunbathing, the stock market, sports, uh, self improvement, neatness, gardening, golf, uh, all ki- hair twisting. Right? Some of you, you know, some, some of you, are, no, not me. I'm not saying my hands now. But the, the, all of these attractions, right? That that in his uh, career have shown up with addictive traits in people. And then on the other hand is this table of aversion addictions, right? These things that, that govern my life and shape my life by, by um, uh, the ways that I organize uh, and, and, and control things so that I don't have to deal with these aspects. Uh, uh, animals, anger, anchovies, uh, dirt, doctors, embarrassment, failure, uh, storms, uh, writing, right? All of these things that we say, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And, 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 we, and we go to, to whatever degree is necessary in order to avoid those things. And so, and, and so for the false self that is governed by all of these attractions and all of these avoidances, look at the, look at the size of that list. Look at, look at the way, if you could take Jesus' little phrase, life in this world, this is life in this world. This is the thing that the false self is clinging after and attaching to. And this is the thing that the false self is avoiding. And we're, and we're shaped and, 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 and organized and, and influenced by all of these pushes and pulls. And here's what I want to say. That none of this is who you really are. This is not the true self. None of this is who you really are. None of these describe your essence. To get to who Jesus really was and to, and to get to who you really are requires detaching from the things that we're controlled by and embracing powerlessness in the face of death. The powerlessness of going into the ground. And it's in that surrender, embracing that powerlessness, that the true self has an opportunity to shine. It's no accident that Jesus uses the word glory here. The true self is capable of glory. 
when it's released from all of these false self attachments and avoidances. And it's also no surprise then that the very first step in our recovery journey is to admit that we are powerless. We're, we're, we're admitting that we are powerless and that our lives have become unmanageable. Now, a statement like that, you are powerless, is offensive to the false self. It's offensive to the false self. If you're like me if, and someone comes up to you and says, hey, guess what? You're an addict. You, you have all of these false self addictions. You know what will happen? My false self will rise up with some power and some indignation and some self-righteousness, and I'll start to say either, no, I'm not, right? Giving voice to my false self-addiction right, right off the bat. Or, or I'll say, well, then I'll fix it. I'll make it better. I'll try harder. I'll beat it. I'll, I'll solve it. I'll conquer it. I'll overcome it. Nobody has to see the mess. And my false self is hard at work. That's what the false self does. The false self that wants to bring glory to self instead of glory to God. But here's the thing. We can't fix an addiction by trying harder. We don't fix an addiction through a strategy or through our cleverness or through some remedy that we dream up. It's the very nature of addiction to feed off of every attempt to master it. Addiction is sort of like the Chinese finger puzzle, right? The harder you pull on it, the more stuck you become. So Paul puts it this way in Romans 7, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Uh, That that, that phrase translates the word flesh. That's Paul's understanding of the false self. I I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is this false self living in me. One wise person reflecting on that text said that, therefore, all mature spirituality is about letting go. All mature spirituality is about letting go. So this... This week, I'm going to invite you to look at powerlessness. I'm going to invite you to spend some time uh, confronting and exploring powerlessness in the ways that life has become unmanageable. One of the ways that we can do that, uh, I've I've, uh, included in the back of your worship folder a series of Oasis Group questions. Now, Some of, some of us who are here today uh, have not yet hit uh, rock bottom in our addiction. That is still in our future. Uh, some of us will have some motivation to take this on. And um, the first sort of step of taking this on is to just to kind of listen to the idea, to entertain an idea. Uh, some, some, of, some, of, some of us will move beyond the, 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 the stage of listening and uh, we'll actually begin thinking. Right? We'll begin thinking about, what if this is true? What is my false self like? Where am I powerless? Where has my life become? I mean, we'll begin thinking about it. Uh, some of us will go uh, even further 
and begin writing about it. And when we begin writing about it, we begin to discipline our thinking and externalize an internal process. And we begin to see things and connect things that maybe we hadn't seen and connected before. So some of us uh, today are just listening. Some of us will move on to thinking. Some of us will go on to writing. Some of us will go on to talking. Some of us will say, I need to say this to another human being. I need to be in an oasis group. I need to be in a triad. I need to be uh, in a coffee group. I need to have somebody that I'm talking about this with. And those of us who go from listening to thinking to writing to talking will find the most freedom. And I want to suggest that these Oasis group questions, whether or not you're in an Oasis group per se, whether or not you use these for a triad, whether you're in a coffee group or whatever you're doing, uh, that these are uh, tools that you can use to move from listening to thinking to writing to talking. So when you look at the prompts, the invitation is to describe on paper the places where you are powerless Describe reoccurring fears about finances, family members, authority figures, sex, God, whatever it is that is a recurring fear in your life, places where you're powerless. Describe resentments or anger about family members, job, government, church, other institutions, other people. Describe sadness or self-pity about at least three things. Describe pain about three situations, people or thoughts. Describe jealousy Describe how frantic excitability manifests itself in you. Describe how loneliness feels. Describe in what areas you experience numbness or lack of feelings and how that feels. Those are all feelings that we can be powerless over. And then there's a whole set of behaviors over which we're powerless. Uh, lists like food and drinks and, and uh Medicines that you keep eating or drinking or taking uh, even though you've had enough and you don't want to. List and describe any uh, compulsive behaviors, right? All of these sorts of lists. Are there people where you experience powerlessness in that relationship? List the people in your family, at work, at church, and other places whose behavior irritates you and what it is they do um, that you can't get them to quit doing no matter how hard you've tried. So you're looking, looking and exploring uh, this whole concept of powerlessness. Feelings, behaviors, compulsions, and people. And take some time to do that. And as you engage that process, uh, you'll hit barriers. And maybe the first barrier is sitting here today and you're saying, I'm not going to engage that process. Why would I ever engage a process like that? And, here, and here's what I want to say. What I want to say is that your true self deserves to be free. The, the, the self that God made you to be, the self that is capable of glory, the self that is capable of pointing others to God, the self that is capable of hope and compassion, deserves to be set free. You have a true self. One of the uh, moments in my life when I feel um, most connected to God 
uh, is the holy ground that happens on the second floor of the Midland County Courthouse every time somebody graduates from drug court. And if you've never been to a drug court graduation and you'd like to go, let me know, because I'd like you to see this. This is amazing. Here's what will happen. Somebody who has been through 18 months, two years, two and a half years of this program will stand up in front of a a, a packed uh, courtroom. And they will begin to describe something of the journey that has brought them to where they are. And they'll begin to talk about uh, somebody as if they're describing the life of somebody that is tragic and sad, but that they don't even really recognize anymore. And they'll begin to say some things like this. They'll say, you know, I, I lived my life in such a way that I hurt and rejected and despised everybody who ever cared about me. Everybody who took a chance on me, I let them down. I would, I would, I would build up hope and then dash the hope over and over and over again. And, and, and I would go through life in such a way that I would steal from people who cared for me and I would lie to them to their face and I would convince them that I was in the right and they were wrong. I betrayed them. My son had to watch me be handcuffed in my living room and put in the back of a police car. And I sat in jail and I missed months and maybe years of my kid's life. Those are days that I will never get back again. And then they'll say, but this journey that started with recognizing that I was powerless to change any of it has produced a new life. And then on a really good day, mom will stand up. And when mama stands up, there's not a dry eye in the room. And Mama will say, you don't know how good it is to finally have my child back. I finally have my child back. It's as if she's saying, that old, false, addicted, lying, stealing, betraying self is gone. And this true self, my child, is back. And listen, if it is true that every single one of us has a false self that is caught in addiction, then it is also true that every single one of us has a heavenly father who wants to stand up with tears running down his face and say, I finally have my child back. That's my boy. That's my girl. That's the true self that I've created you to be. Why would you take this on? Because your true self, on the other side of all of the denial and all of the scariness and all of the pain, your true self deserves a chance at glory. Choose to live. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you for surrendering your false self. Thank you for giving up that part of you that wanted to cling to your life and be in control and do it some other way. Thank you that you surrendered 
to the dirt and went into the ground for us so that we can be free too. Holy Spirit, as some of us, perhaps many of us this week, will take on some reflection about the places where we are powerless and the places that our life has become unmanageable. Holy Spirit, would you be gentle with us, but also incisive and clear? Would you help us to see what you want to show us? Would you unfold in front of us a landscape of of unmanageable living in the pain and destruction that that is causing. Lord, help us to see through your eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have... uh, Should we do our offering first? All right, we're going to do our morning offering. Uh, Then we have a a few more things left to do today. So uh, we're going to go ahead and receive our morning offering.